0: welcome back to the cattle menu podcast i'm caroline rose the founder and ceo of k rose company in cattle menu thank you for joining us on this episode i'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation it's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to the Kettle Menu Podcast. I absolutely enjoyed this conversation with Sarah, and I think you will too. Her family has really been able to add value to their operation in the standard farm-to-table way with a completely different approach. I love how she talks about making sure that it is profitable, making sure the ranch is getting paid for the calves at market value, and we talk a little bit about her farm-to-table retail store that she recently opened, which of course is close to my heart because I recently opened The Rancher's Daughter in Kalispell, Montana with Grayson. So settle in, listen to this episode, and I hope it gives you some nuggets, some ways to think about coming back to the family operation, expanding it, and making it work for everyone. Welcome back to the Kettleman You Podcast. Today, I have Sarah with me as our guest. And I met Sarah this summer, and I really enjoyed hearing her story and how intentional they are about profitability on their operation. So I'm excited to dive in that. Thanks for joining me, Sarah.
1: Thanks for having me, Caroline. I'm excited to be here.
0: Why don't you start and just tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about your guys' operation?
1: Great. Um, I grew up on an Angus cow-calf operation in southeast Kansas. I have an older brother. He was never interested in agriculture, and I was always the one tagging along with dad, doing the cattle work, helping out around things. When it came time to go to college, I was leaning towards agriculture, but my dad really pushed me away from that. In his mind, and he actually said this, he wanted a better life for me. He wanted a life that was probably easier than agriculture because we know agriculture can be an intense life, but a fulfilling life. And so I went to college, I stayed away from agriculture, even though all my friends were in the College of Ag, ended up getting my bachelor's from Kansas State University in family and consumer sciences. And then I went into nonprofit fundraising and got my master's at the University of North Texas, where I met my husband. And even on our honeymoon, we were talking about when we would move back to the family ranch in Kansas. I remember sitting down on our honeymoon in a coffee shop, and we were talking about the beef business that we wanted to start selling directly to consumers. And that was back in 2011. (laughs) So it's an idea that we've had for over a decade. But it was in the back of our minds. It was just a matter of trying to find the right time to move back and making things work. Um, in 2014, shortly after our oldest daughter Stella was born, we had that opportunity arise. My husband is a city planner and there's not a lot of city planning jobs in rural Kansas. <laughs> so this job came up like three weeks after my daughter was born. And that is a horrible time to think about switching jobs, <laughs> selling a house in Texas, buying a house in Kansas, doing any major life decisions with a newborn, but everything just kind of fell into place. He got the job and within five weeks of him interviewing, he had accepted the job. We sold our house in Texas. We bought a house sight unseen in Kansas (laughs) and we moved with our newborn up to Kansas so he could start that city planning job and I could start working on the ranch with my dad. So that was in 2014. One of the first things my dad said to me as we started working together was, we need to find a better way to market our beef. We had been buying really great bulls, and in our opinion, we were producing calves that were above average. We weren't getting any return on that though. They were just kind of pretty selling average at the sale bar and we weren't getting a premium for them. And so Dad wanted me to work on finding a better way to market those animals. His idea was I would network with people like you, sale barn buyers <laughs> and guys at the feedlot um, and independent buyers and things like that. And I took it in a whole nother direction <laughs> and started Salt Creek Farm, which is our direct-to-consumer and restaurant business where we sell our dry-aged beef directly to consumer, but um, also wholesale to restaurants as well. And, and that's been a wild ride in and of itself, <laughs> just trying to learn how to do that. It was very much at a time when that was just getting started. So there weren't all of these classes that are authored now. There's a lot of online platforms that teach you how to sell direct to consumers and there was none of that. So it was a lot of, and still is a lot of trial and error of learning how to, to market things and how to sell directly to people. And you know that's kind of how our wholesale business started is because we failed initially. When we first started, we thought we'd sell directly to individuals. I struggled. I failed at that. I will be the first one to admit it. But we had the opportunity to start working with a restaurant in Kansas City. And that got our foot in the door with restaurants. And we really built the bulk of our business on wholesale restaurants. And then the pandemic hit in 2020. And all of the restaurants closed. (laughs) So we had to pivot again. And that's when our retail business really picked up. And we were kind of able to balance out our retail with our wholesale, which is where we should be anyway, just because things like that happen. So it's kind of been a wild ride the last eight years since we moved back to Kansas, but it's very much where I'm supposed to be. It's where I feel the most myself and where I feel the most fulfilled.
0: Yeah, I just absolutely love your story. And one thing that you and I have talked about that I want to dive into a little bit is you do the setup of your farm-to-table business a little bit different. So the ranch is a separate entity, am I correct? Yes. Than your farm-to-table business. So you are purchasing the cattle from the ranch. And that makes it a little bit unique, and I'll let you talk on it. But every time I see someone list hamburger on Facebook and they're selling it for $3 a pound, it breaks my heart because I have realized... That they do not understand what it is actually costing to raise that animal and the dollar amount that they have into that carcass in order to split it into hamburger. And it's a little different. We're not talking bulk, right? Mm -mm. If you get a couple hundred pounds of burger, you can discount it a little bit more. We're not, we're talking someone who wants to buy. 10 pounds a burger, you cannot sell for three or even $4 a pound and bring any money back in no matter how you're doing this. And so talk a little bit about how you guys separate the two entities, so how the ranch is different than the farm to table, and then how you figure out some of your direct costs. And one thing that you didn't mention is you actually opened a retail store as well, which I'm assuming is even separate from the different entities so that you can figure out retail-wise what you need to bring in to have someone man that store and all of that. So talk a little bit about how you split everything up and you figure out the value of your product.
1: Sure. So when we were first starting Salt Creek Farm, we knew we wanted to keep it separate from the ranch, which is our family ranch is Rafter F's Ranch. And that was mostly for legal and liability issues. If something ever happened with the meat business, we didn't want any blowback on the ranch at all so we started out as two separate legal entities and they still are but doing that we decided to purchase the animals from the ranch because i wanted to make sure the ranch got paid and that's very important is making sure you pay yourself making sure the ranch gets paid so when i take an animal from the ranch to the locker i know how much that animal weighs and i know the market value of that animal at the time i took it so we calculate our cost to the ranch on that. You know, if it's 1,200 pound animal and it's selling for $1.50, that's pretty easy to figure up. And that's what we will pay the ranch. And then we also know our butcher costs and are going to be about 7 to $750. And so we add all of that together to figure out our cost of production. So the ranch cost plus the butcher cost um, divided by the amount of meat we get back from the locker equals our cost of production. And right now that's sitting about $5.50 roughly. So I know anything I sell, I need to sell above that $5.50 mark for me to make any money. Otherwise it's just a wash. And that's where I really struggle when I see people who are selling it for $3 a pound, they're not compensating themselves for the value of that animal. And that's what we put all our heart and soul into is raising this animal. And if I took it to the sale barn instead of the locker, you know, I'd get $2,400, let's say. Why would I short myself that and not pay myself that when I'm doing something else? And I'm putting even more work into it than I would if I just took these animals to the sale barn. So uh, I really wish people would understand their true cost of production and what it takes to to really put that meat on the table because you're either shorting the ranch so you're not making any money that way or you're shorting yourself because you're not paying yourself for your time and energy that you're taking to put the marketing in, to drive it to wherever you're selling it to, whether that's a farmer's market or directly to consumers. I'm a strong advocate of making sure you pay yourself. Otherwise, it's just a hobby and it can be an expensive hobby.
0: And there's a lot of expenses in, and that's something I think that in the farm-to-table world, we tend to forget, especially if we have commercial product that does go on a truck and go somewhere else or go to the sale barn. Even though the costs are all washed in together, right? We wrote one feed check or we wrote one X, Y, and Z, you know, pasture lease. It still comes down to the individual animal and the individual cost per animal. And It's not a contest out there about who can sell the most at the lowest price. And sometimes I feel like that when people are posting on social media. It's like, you know, I have burger for sale and it's like this bidding war and it's all perceived value. And I think that's really interesting because I'll be honest, in The Rancher's Daughter, we sell our burger for $8.49 a pound, the grain finished, the grass finished i believe is 1149 and the wagyu is 1049 somewhere in there and we have high demand we have no problem selling we sell out on our burger on a regular basis and then i see people on social media trying to sell burger for 4 dollars a pound and it just it's all perceived value right so we are not trying to compare Walmart. And we're not actually trying to compare to our neighbor, because to be honest, how you raise your animals and how we raise our animals are completely different. Both ways are right, right? This is not a right or wrong. This is a both ways are right, just different. And I think there's a lot to being said about if it doesn't make sense, if you can't make it work, then farm to table might not be the value add program for you and i don't think a lot of people have that conversation internally with their operations
1: i think you're completely right they they see other people who are succeeding at it and they say oh well i can do that and i can do it cheaper but financially it may not make sense and they only last a few months maybe a year maybe two before they realize they're losing money <laughs> and that's and it's tough for them and it's also tough for their customers who have depended on them so it leaves a bad taste in the customer's mouth that they don't have a dependable product
2: hey ladies are you looking for a way to gain confidence when it comes to working cattle this summer we're hosting the first ever she's a hand ranch camp in montana our goal is to create a low stress environment for you to learn the skills you're expected to know but never taught You can join us on either May 25th through 29th or July 28th through August 2nd. Each camp is limited to 15 spots, so don't wait. You can grab your ticket today at the link in the show notes. We
1: hope to see you there. We did open up a brick and mortar store this fall in Eureka, Kansas, which is my hometown. And it has been so wonderful to see the community support it. I really didn't know if people would come out and support, you know, we're we're, like you said, we sell our ground beef at higher than grocery store costs. But I've had so many people come in and say, I've wanted to buy good beef for so long, but there's no place in town where I can buy just a steak or just one or two pounds of ground beef from good ranch-raised beef, it's either grocery store beef or it's Dollar General beef. And you and I both know that while those are good qualities, doing dry-aged beef is a whole different product. So, And one thing that kept sticking with me is a friend came in and she says, just because we live in a small town doesn't mean we don't like nice things. And I think some of us that come from small towns, we think we just have to get by with what we have and we'll just make it work. But we like nice things too. And that's one thing we try to sell in our market as all local products, a little bit higher end products that they're not going to be able to get within an hour of our town. And so trying to find that market, not everybody's going to buy 850 beef and that's fine. You have to find your customers and they will find you as well. But, and I've never had anyone complain about price in my market. Because if they do, I'm just going to turn and say, well, you know, the grocery store's Two blocks down the street, you're welcome to go there. <laughs> but your customers will find you and your price point is what your price point is. There's no reason to race to the bottom because you're just hurting yourselves and others when you're trying to a race to the bottom for prices.
0: I agree. And one thing that I always tell people is: if my price doesn't work for you, go to the grocery store, go to Walmart, go That's to, good. you know, somewhere else. It's still a win. You're still eating beef mm-hmm. and There's a chance that it could be the beef I produced. I mean, not all of it gets to go in the retail store. Not all of it gets to go direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. We still sell and handle, you know, a lot of commodity cattle, and there is a place for it all. So if you want beef, no matter where you're willing to spend price wise, and maybe your burger you want to buy a little cheaper, and then you, you know, want it to be fancier steaks or you want to save up and only buy you know prime rib or whatever works for you for families I think that's great but there is a difference in what that value brings and that's something that I talk a lot about you know is the storytelling and we don't talk a ton about marketing on this podcast of course but that's what's in my blood and when people ask when they come in the retail store they'll they'll mention you know they might say oh you know how did you come up with this price? And of course I tell him, well, I figured in what it cost. And then I also mentioned that I want to make sure that I pay my brother a living wage Mm -hmm. because I want my niece and nephew to be involved in agriculture. And I want to make sure that they have enough money to support their family. And I was like, not a lavish slice you know they're not making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on this meat that we're selling yeah. in our retail store but enough that they can have health insurance and they can put some money in retirement and they can do some of these things and the legacy and ensuring the next generation of farmers and ranchers is important to me and I price that into my product to make sure that we are passing it down the supply chain right we pass it to the processor and mm-hmm. the truck You know, the driver, whoever delivers the beef and the cold storage guy. I mean, there's a lot of people involved in the process who get to earn some income when we add a value added program to our operations, no matter what value added is, right? Whether we start to do farm tours, whether any type of value add that we're adding to an operation, there are more people in the community that are impacted by that decision.
1: Exactly. And that's what people need to understand is, and we still sell beef through the sale barn or directly to buyers from our cow-calf operation. Not all of our cattle go into our, our farm-to-table program, but it's all safe beef. It's all good beef. It's just a matter of how you want to spend that money, you know, and where what product you want to buy. So making sure it's a living it's a living wage, because that's something I know farmers and ranchers are struggling with right now is higher input costs, but they haven't seen the return on the other end yet <laughs> for the, that. And so we're, you know, we're paying seven to 9% higher in our input costs, but we haven't seen that on the other end when we get the checks from the sale barn or from the feedlot when we sell. So if people wanna keep family farms around, they need to understand there's a price to that. And to being able to pay family farmers and ranchers, their worth and their value will keep safe and healthy food on our tables.
0: Absolutely. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about working with your dad (laughs) and with siblings who are not involved in the operation, correct? You have some brothers who are not involved, or a brother at least, who are not involved in the operation. Talk a little bit about some of that dynamic and some things that you guys, I mean, you have almost 10 years that you've been on the operation. So you've learned a thing or two. I'm sure there's been a few moments, just like with my dad, where I'm like, I'm just going to walk away at the current moment. I'll be right back. Um, But talk a little bit about how that looks and some of the things that you have found when working with family so closely.
1: I'm very fortunate. My dad and I work really, really well together. We have a great relationship. And when I moved back, after he said that we need to find a better way to market our beef, he also said, if you want to try something, I will never tell you no. And that has been the biggest help and the, just the biggest boost of confidence as we try things. That doesn't mean just the farm to table thing. That means, hey, what if we try garlic powder in the mineral? Hey, what if we try finishing and rotating it this way? Hey, what if we try a bowl from this operation? And we discuss it, we may do it, we may not, but he's not going to straight out say, no, we don't do that this is the way we're always doing it. And this is the way we're going to continue to do it. And so I think that's really important for the older generation to understand is if you want that child to be involved, you have to be open to new ideas and let them actually be involved. We have monthly meetings as a family, even though I see my parents almost every day, they are very involved in my girls' lives as they're growing up and taking them to events. We make an intentional meeting every month of sitting down, going over finances, going over what we did in the last month, what worked, what didn't work, what's coming up in the next month. And so we have defined roles. We have defined responsibilities. We're all on the same page with goals and communication. I know everyone says that with succession planning, but communication is very much key when it comes to running the ranch with my dad. And he was very generous when I came back. He made me a partner in the ranch because he wanted me to be a partner and have an interest in it rather than just being an employee. And so that does, that gives me interest in it, not just personally, but, you know, it makes me remember that, okay, this isn't just a paycheck for me. This is, this is the livelihood. This is the ranch. This is everything. And he doesn't treat me like an employee. He treats me like a partner. And so that really helps with our relationship as well. As far as my brother goes, he's, he's four years older than me. And like I said, he's never been interested in agriculture. He lives a couple hours away with his family. They come down every once in a while and, and he helps sometimes, but a lot of the times with agriculture, it's a lot of muscle memory. And, you know, my dad and I get into working cattle. He and I know where the other person's going to go or where the other person should go. And we automatically do things And we forget to stop and tell other people like, oh, hey, this is why we're doing this and you need to go over there. And then we get frustrated with other people. So that's something I'm working on as my husband is transitioning from his town job to working full time on the farm this spring. I need to work on my communication as far as communicating why we're doing something and how we're doing something so everybody stays safe. I think one thing with having siblings that aren't working on the farm is when it comes to succession planning, what's equal is not fair, and what's fair is not equal. And I've talked a lot with my parents about this, and I, I've told them, you know, I I don't really care what you do with the cropland, I don't really care what you do with your investments, but I want the pasture land, because that's what I'm, I'm building my business on, and that, and so as they've structured their retirement, or not retirement, have they structured their their will and everything. They've taken that into account and we've talked with it with my brother and he know, you know, he has no expectation of he's going to get half of all of the land and we're just going to split everything 50/50. But it can be hard because I'm building an operation based on all the land we have now and then when my parents pass away, we are going to lose some of that land and, you know, some of the cash reserves that my parents had built up because that's going to go to my brother and that kind of you have to make adjustments to your operation as far as how you're going to survive that and how you're going to build that back up. So it's been tough, but and it's, it, those are hard conversations to have because I think our parents' generation, they just don't necessarily want to think about it. And I don't blame them. Nobody wants to think about dying and what's going to look like afterwards. And sometimes it would just be easier to be like, well, you guys figure it out. And I told my parents, if you want, My brother and I, to have a relationship after you pass, we need to have this figured out before you pass. (laughs) Because so much can go wrong after. Whatever the intentions are, so much can go wrong.
2: Do you want to start taking control of your cattle operation and start treating it like a business? Our team has just the tool for you. We have created the Cattlemen U Profit Finder focused on understanding your operation as a business and giving you the confidence when it comes to the financial side of things. This six-part series will give you access to speakers like Shaylee Stewart and more. You can get access today at Live.com backslash profit finder.
1: I was just thinking about this the other day of if... If children choose to come back to the family business, whether that's agriculture, insurance, healthcare, a trade, they all need to sit down and do three things. They need to define their roles, define their goals, and add value. And that's, you know, we added our farm to table business and that's been able to add value to the operation, but that's also our own thing where we have ownership over that completely. And I have a friend, he started an outfitting business. So He was working for the family ranch and he added an outfitting business that added value. I have a friend who's in insurance and his son wants to come back and join, but he's like, Well, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I don't want to share all my profits. And he's going to open a new branch so his son can open the new branch. And so I think it's important for the children to come back with the expectation of adding value and not just being an employee, being an added expense. They have to justify that expense and add value to the operation. And the parents need to make sure they, make room for those children and not just treat them as an employee or give them scraps along the way. They have to make room and value them as a partner in the operation.
0: Absolutely. You said two things that I want to hit on. One, to talk about the other side of being the sibling that is not involved in the operation on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, I run Kettle. It's a huge part of our life. But my brother has put his blood, sweat, and tears out there and that's what he has. I mean, he's built his life. His house is out there. And Mm so on a very regular basis, I tell my dad, you give him the place and I can make a living not on the operation. He could. He's very handy. I have no doubt someone would hire him tomorrow. I mean, people probably try to hire him all the time, but this is where he is. He has not built something else. He has built this with you. Mm -hmm. And- I tell my dad that all the time. And then the conversation that my brother and I have is, how can we do this together? When this is yours, Jacob, what does that look like? And when my dad was really sick this spring, he's doing much better. But when he was really sick this spring, my brother called and said, are you ready to do this? We're doing it together. And we And my dad, of course, always says, I don't know if you two can get along well enough. And we, we just really complement each other. My brother's a great you know, worker. He really understands animal health and nutrition. And I'm kind of, I don't want to say the brains because my brother's equally as smart, but more of the computer and the, you know, I buy the cattle. My brother doesn't really love to buy cattle and I'm, you know, line up trucks. And I mean, we just have really complementary skills because when my dad first brought my brother home and then I graduated college you're right. I had to add some different value than they already had. And I had to add this perspective, which is why I started my own business is I said, okay, how can I do this in the family business and still have something else? So we were not big enough to support three families. We still aren't. We will eventually get there, but I wanted to have a leg to stand on to be involved how I wanted to be involved. And, and so that's what it looks like The opposite perspective and I have really been vocal to my dad of don't you mess this up and give it to all three of us because he doesn't have enough like there's not enough money to buy the two of us out. Mm -hmm. I can do something else. He needs this place. And so. We're, of course, working through that and communicating. We actually have our business meeting today, this afternoon, with my dad and my brother um, via Zoom, which they love. They're like, Can we not do it in person? I'm like, No, um, we have to do it via Zoom this week. Then the other thing that I wanted to hit on is my dad has also been very open to every crazy idea. Like, I'm hosting She's a Hand Ranch Camp on their operation, uh, bringing awesome. in a bunch of women, yeah. you know, and he's like, Sign us up. But on TikTok, and I don't have a huge following on TikTok, but there is a lot of, there has been a lot of negativity in what I'm saying. And I was having a conversation with my dad about it, and I said, "Dad, what do you think is the reason behind this?" And he said, "Well, it's fear." He said, hundred percent." And he's like, "I can almost guarantee that these are ranchers, and they don't really love their circumstance for whatever reason. They have a line of credit that's always maxed out." He's like, "Whatever. They're just not overly happy." And he said, they're so fearful about making a mistake that they're too afraid to move. And he talks about it as their hands are closed, like tight-fisted. And he said, you're feeling that in a TikTok comment. Can you imagine being their child at the dining room table with them? And he's like, no wonder that ranch. And again, we're not talking about a particular person. So if you're on my TikTok, don't (laughs) feel offended. he's generalizing. But he said... No wonder those ranches are not going to the next generation. There's so much fear in doing anything different that we don't allow any success to flow through the hands because they're so tightly wound. And it just really made me think, because my dad has always been, let's try it. You think it's it'll work? Run some quick numbers. Let's do it. For example, I bought some program kettle on Monday at a sale barn. We got a text on thursday that the cattle were coming maybe even on friday might have been on friday that the cattle were coming to the sale barn we've never had all natural cattle around but we know they bring a premium so i called on friday we got audited on saturday to be an approved lot and the cattle arrived on monday my dad said it cost i don't know 2100 dollars. my dad said okay let's try it does it add value is it something we can market to people Does it potentially add some value to the farm to table? Like, could we have an all natural section of beef? And he said, let's do it. And so, I mean, we made a quick decision on a gut feeling that we figured could pencil. I bought the kettle on Monday that came to the approved lot. And I have to give him a lot of kudos, just like your dad. My dad is very willing to try things and let us risk. But I think there's a lot of people listening who that might not be the scenario. And to me, it's a fear-based decision. And I think that my personality, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I think you might be the same. Are you?
1: I don't know. When we met, you know, I was told I was a three, but I go back and I look at all those and I'm like, I don't think I'm a three. So I need to retake the test. (laughs) Okay. You
0: might be an eight or a three somewhere in that.
1: Okay. Um, But we often go zero to
0: a hundred in my personality. It's like, okay, if it's not white, it's black. There's no gray. And if if you live in an operation that there is some fear of change, any kind of change, whether you're not talking about succession planning, whether you've bought bulls at the same guy for 50 years. I mean, there's a lot of things that show signs of fear, whether that word is ever used or not. There is gray. If you're white there is one stage just that is slightly adds one drop of black. And it's so easy to want to say just like you, right? It's like, wow, Sarah went home. And the next thing you know, they're just selling all their beef farm to table. And it's like, no, no, no. like It is a whole progression. And it just seems as if If you have that fear-based experience happening in your operation, whether it might be you, I mean, I'm fearful of a lot of things and I see when it comes out, but, or you might have family that has a little bit of fear for whatever reason, they're shades of gray. And so you can do things that move you from white to black that cost no money. Try those first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Try the things that are free first and uh, see the repercussions see the opportunities from that. And just remember, like, you did not go from selling everything at the sale barn to selling everything. I mean, you don't even sell everything now, farm to table. Like, it's not a light switch.
1: Definitely not. And it's been a progression. It's taken years. And when we opened our, our market in town, there were some people, you know, they would come in kind of with pitying looks. They're like, oh how's it going? Because they were worried we wouldn't be successful with the market. And I tell them, I was like, well, one, it's going great. But I'm like, this is just one part of our business. Like we have been selling meat for four or five years before this. And this is just an extension of what we're doing. This is not just something we decided to do overnight, which is, I didn't realize there were so many people in my community that didn't know what we did, because we did it all online, or we were selling to restaurants that were over two hours away. So, you know, they thought, well, maybe Sarah's selling a little beef, but they didn't realize the scale that we were on. And so there's, yeah, there's gray all through that. And people need to understand that it's a process and it's okay to fail. Like I failed hard and then I pivoted. And then when the COVID hit and things, you know, switched again and, you know, switched from black to white, and then we had to pivot again. And, being able to pivot whether that's in a farm to table business whether that's in a ranch whether that's in a marketing business you have to have that flexibility or you are going to fail hard <laughs> like it's it's not a question of if it's a matter of when if you can't pivot and adapt to everything changing
0: absolutely and i think pivoting is really important and not kind of getting it all tied up into you know one situation i have the same people come into the Rancher's Daughter and ask that, oh, how's it going? Are you having any sales? And it's funny because some days are slow. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, today's been slow, but for the most part, we're doing great. And there's a lot more opportunities for us than just the people coming in the door. And it provides a working environment. Like we have to be on our, you know, office time. I know that's important to you. Mm -hmm. It provides some marketing. It provides all our vendors. Like there's a lot more going on than just, how much meat is moving out the door that day. And I think that, I think people are impressed that we started something new. And then I think people are surprised that people are adapting to it so quickly. Like, I think there's kind of this both, like, wow, you did it, but are people actually shopping here?
1: And they are. And, you know, our stuff is going to be more expensive than just a regular grocery store, just like it is at Rancher's Daughter. But, you know, people not only want to buy nice quality things, they also wanna support local people. They wanna support the young women, the young women, men who are willing to come back to our small communities and start something new and do something new. And there, there is that level of support there. And it's it's exciting to see more and more young people start to come back to small towns with remote work being available, or they're ready to start their own business in a small town because of the cost of living. and. I just hope that small towns are ready for them to to come back and, you know, get the buildings in shape for businesses to move in and just be ready for new businesses because I kind of have the, the, the field of dreams mentality of if you build it, they will come. They might not come right away, but they will come, but you have to give them the space to come into.
0: Absolutely. That's what I think too. And I just think there's so much opportunity. I did a 23 in 2023 list. I don't know why 23 was the year. I didn't do a 22 in 22 (laughs) list. And one of them was to buy or open another business. And I remember I've told probably three or four people now, I'm telling thousands, but (laughs) I told three or four people that. And they said, you mean you just want to open another one? And I said, no, 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 not necessarily. Like I don't just want to open a business to open a business, but I want to be primed for the opportunity in my community To buy a business or open a business where I see a need and a fit for our family and our company and our overall mission, which everything we do is to ensure the next generation of farmers and ranchers. And so if we can add to that portfolio in some capacity, I want to be primed and ready. And I just think that that is not a mentality that a lot of people have, but it is a mentality that has to be needed.
1: Yeah. The adage that I always come back to is, a lot of people think I'm lucky, but you know, luck is when opportunity meets preparation, and that's exactly what you're talking about—is creating the environment where, when the opportunity arises, you're ready to pounce on it. And we're, you know, we're working on another opportunity like that right now, uh, where we had the opportunity to buy some land on the edge of town, and we're like, okay, there's going to be an opportunity here. We just have to figure it out, and being prepared for opportunity is just as important as taking advantage of opportunity.
0: Absolutely. And there is so much opportunity. I always tease people. I'm like, if I was a W-2 worker right now, which I am, we're structured fine for all those accountants listening. But like, if I worked at Starbucks, I would be making so much money. Because there is so much work out there. If you want to work, so much work right now. And I know there's a lot of talk and we won't we're going to wrap up here shortly but there is a lot of talk about, you know, looming recessions and as an entrepreneur and you're an entrepreneur, there is so much opportunity out there that I think there's no time like the present to seize an opportunity, add a value add to your operation. Again, it doesn't have to be farm to table. I I truly don't believe that farm to table is right for everyone, but there is a way that you can increase your revenue without increasing your expenses or your cost. Mm
1: -hmm. I think, yeah, everybody has that opportunity. You just have to find it and find what works for you. Because like you said, farm to table is not for everybody. Seed stock operations aren't for everybody. You have to figure out what works best for you and, and seize it.
0: Absolutely. This has been a great conversation, Sarah. We love watching what you do and taking risks. Um, So let me know or let our audience know where they can follow you on social media and where you're most active.
1: Um, I'm most active on Instagram. You can follow me at The Salt Creek Farm. We also have our website, www.thesaltcreekfarm.com. And then I'm also on Facebook uh, at The Salt Creek Farm. So uh, that's where I'm at. I try to post a little bit. Sometimes, some weeks it's more than others. It just kind of depends what's going on, and you know if I can get my phone out when it's zero degrees and it'll take video or not. So <laughs> I try to keep it real and just let show people what the dirty is, what the clean is, and all around. <laughs>
0: absolutely well um i hope our followers follow along i think you're doing great things and we're excited to see what you do in the future and thanks so much for being on today thanks Caroline. thanks again for listening to the cattle menu podcast don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on apple podcasts we are thankful to have you in your community like always remember the grass is greener where you water it